This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Preem. Eric Scopel is with me on a Monday. Recording this a little late, my fault. Uh, technology sometimes gets in the way, and I apparently forgot to do an update that must have been really important because we've been stuck on the update, but switched computers. We're here Monday morning. Eric, uh, nice bye week for both of us. We were able to take some time off. Uh, got a chance to watch a lot of college football, and I think the, the biggest thing that we saw was Probably the fact that California could be coming into Saturday night's game on Fox against Oregon without maybe their most important player. I mean, I don't know if I was going to say that before the injury, but Chase Garbers might be the team's most important player. You certainly felt the lot. You certainly felt his loss, we should say, when he did come out right before half um, against Arizona State. I watched most of that game, and the drop-off from Garbers to Devin Modster, who's, who was his replacement, was very significant. And honestly, Cal was really not able to throw the football without him. Uh, they had one scoring drive, and I think they ran it every single play on that drive in the second half. Yep, um, 12 straight lost, runs. Which is, which is, hey, really impressive for that offensive line to be able to do that against a good Arizona State defense. But at the same time, that sort of tells you how little confidence they had in that passing a game. And... Uh, he just couldn't make the plays when they were needed. So, you know, we, we were hyping up this game possibly last time we spoke about, you know, the possibility of Cal were to win that game. This could be a college game day thing. We could have two teams ranked somewhere between 13 and 15. That was where both teams were ranked last week. And instead, Cal drops all the way out of the top 25, which I don't, you have an argument that that might be a little bit of an extreme reaction to, to a seven point home loss against an Arizona State team who's already beaten Michigan State and isn't, you know, by any chance or, you know, by any means a, a bad team, and that's a pretty good Arizona State team. And Oregon, I think that's going to be a team that will be a challenge to Oregon yeah, down the line 100%. here. I think uh, that defense is, is really good, and, and you know the, they're just starting to see enough happen offensively there with, with Jaden Daniels. But uh, this goes from being a Cal game where before the season we kind of thought it was an <clears throat> afterthought game. Right. Last last couple of weeks it felt like it was actually going to be a big game, and now if Garbers isn't active and we don't have anything update on this uh, as of early Monday morning. Uh, but if, if they don't have Chase Garbers, I think Oregon is, is, Oregon is going to win very, very comfortably based upon what we've seen from Devin Monster. I think the only way, uh, it isn't a, a lopsided or, or very dominant Oregon win is if that Cal defense really, really buckles down and is able to make this a game that's one, you know, that the winning team scores like 14 or 17 points. Cause I just don't see that Cal offense. Honestly, I don't see that Cal offense breaking the touchdown streak against Oregon. Um, Weirder things have happened, obviously, but this is going to be, uh, with Monster at quarterback, a worse quarterback situation than a lot of teams have had facing Oregon this year, <laughs> put it that way, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm with you. I mean, Cal has, the only way they, they win this football game now is, like you said, the defense bows up and they just make this a, a 10-7 type of a football game. Um, 
because Cal, you know, Cal's defense is legit. You know, they're third yep. in the conference in yards per play allowed at 4.91. Oregon is first in the conference. And then Arizona State is second, which is kind of surprising. Um, I, I don't know if anyone was expecting ASU to, to be one of the best defenses in the conference. I think California probably had the potential, but I don't know if anyone was really like, they're going to be this good, but here they are. But their offense is just equally as bad. And, and it, it was too bad because this game had the makings to, to be, you know, two top 15 teams going at it, uh, on national primetime TV, uh, big opportunity. And, and you look at Cal's offense with Chase Garbers in against ASU last week and they were efficient. Nine of 12 passing for 117 yards and a touchdown. He had, he had a decent QBR, you know, just 63 points, but he did, he did enough. And, you know, that, that Cal team looked formidable. And, and then when he, Came in, you know, when he had to leave, Monster re- returned and was just five of fourteen for twenty-three yards, just yeah. an average of one point six yards per completion or per attempt. Excuse me, just really, really bad football all the way around. Their run game died off. Uh, you know, Marcel Dancy was a guy that that looked poised to do some stuff, but you know, their running backs aren't guys where outside of that one drive, I think. Um, where they went 12 straight runs and they scored a touchdown to open the second half. Uh, outside of that, their running backs aren't good enough or they've not shown it consistently where they can do that every time. So for Oregon, if Garbers isn't going to play, and we don't have an official word like Eric said, but at the same time, it does, it looks highly unlikely that he's going to be able to play one week later, you know, considering the injury he had. And if he can't, Boy, this, the outlook of this football game dramatically changes to the point where I, I don't think Oregon needs to, you know, I, I'm not saying you're going to expect Oregon's going to win by 45, but this is one of those games where now all of a sudden where if, if Oregon doesn't win by two touchdowns, you know, it's going to be kind of a, you know, what went wrong? Not because I think Oregon's going to score 45, but because Oregon's defense should be that good where, like you said, yeah, the touchdown streak, that might continue this week, which I don't know if I was thinking it, it, it was going to, you know, this time last week. Yeah, I'm, I'm personally, like, <clears throat> fairly disappointed with, with this outcome. Obviously, it's really a bummer when any time there's a player injured, but just from a selfish perspective and individually of, of being able to watch this, you know, two really good defenses face off and the possibility of a team coming into Otson and really challenging Oregon early on in the season. I think it was, it, it had the opportunity to be a really fun football game. I still think I, I would have said Oregon, I don't know what, I don't know what the line would have been if, if Garbers hadn't gotten hurt. Um, but I, I certainly would have come into this game thinking Oregon was going to win and, and probably win by 10 points or so, but thinking, man, it's going to be a great game. And now we'll see. You never know. Things things might change, but it, uh, I, I'm certainly right now resigned to the fact that I expect Oregon to go out and and win a pretty dominant football game. Like you said, the line is is two scores right now. I think I think Oregon well, this covered. is this is how wild it's been. It opened at 14, 14, and uh, let me double check. Yeah, 14 points is when it opened. It's already climbed in less than 24 hours to 17 and a half. Yeah, I just was looking at that. Yeah, that's. That says a lot right there. And right? the over-under is 47, so it's not like they're like, hey, Oregon, you know, this is going to be a, a, a 47 to, to 30 game. No, like this is, this could end up being like a, 
a 37 to, you know, 17 or something of that nature. Like it, it's not going to be a high scoring game, at least for one team, at least. And that's what Vegas is expecting. And, and, and now we do get into the thing here. I, I mentioned it briefly and, and you, you, you kind of mentioned it too. Like it, I wouldn't be at all shocked if the defense holds an opponent out of the end zone now for four straight games. Like I said earlier, the quarterback play and, and even Devin Monster said after the game, he said, I played terrible. <laughs> it was the yeah. his quote. Honestly, I was pretty terrible was what he said. And it's, and it's, you know, it's not, I watched it. it. It wasn't great. I mean, like his second or third pass attempt was an interception in the end zone on that final drive of the half where basically all he has to do is not do that. And they come away with points and maybe that whole game plays out slightly differently because they would have been playing with the lead rather than playing behind at times in that second half. Um, but I just don't see a scenario here where Cal musters up enough offense. Like we were, like we were already talking about how Cal wasn't great offensively, and then yeah. you take you take away their quarterback, and it's like, oh boy. So I don't want to get you don't want to get too far ahead, too reactive to this, but certainly having now watched that Cal team for a half without Garbers, and just assuming Oregon is as good, if not a little better than Arizona State defensively, and based upon the stats, they're pretty comparable, right? Um, I just don't see a game where Cal musters enough offense to really make this a game where Oregon is sweating it. I wouldn't be shocked at all if this ends, if this has a very similar feel to the Oregon Stanford game where maybe Oregon's offense is a little bit underwhelming. Maybe they only score three or four touchdowns, but the defense is just so, so talented. They're facing a quarterback who's not quite what he, he needs to be to be competitive in the game. And Costello was playing with a bad finger against Oregon. Uh, Monster doesn't have a bad finger, but from what we've seen, isn't, a, a super efficient passer. I just could see this being a game where Oregon wins like, yeah, like it's 28 to six or, you know, something along exactly. those lines. And, and you end up feeling like, Oh, here they go. Maybe we didn't learn too much because Cal was what it was, but you also feel pretty good about how they played. And look, I, if that's the outcome that comes out too, I hope Oregon fans don't get disappointed in the fact that Oregon scores 28, 27, 30, 31 points in this football game, because just because Cal's defense or Cal's offense is not good, you cannot discredit the talent that they have on the defensive side of the football. And, and quite honestly, like they might have the conference's best defensive player at any position, any position. And then on top of that, he might be the team's best player, or you know, he might be the best player on defense, regardless of position. And, and the entire country, if not the top five. I mean, and, and, and linebacker Evan Weaver. I mean, he leads the country in tackles at 78 total tackles, 15 tackles per game. Uh, he is all over the place. I mean, you find the football and he's going to be there. Uh, and, and, and he means so much to this group. I, I mean, I, I'm a fan. I know you were. I'm a huge way, fan. Way before I was. Um, but I, I, I just think. This Cal defense, they've got a good secondary. They've got solid defensive linemen. They've got maybe the best player in the conference, regardless of position, uh, at, and Evan Weaver. So, yeah, like, sure, the, the Cal, Cal's offense is probably not going to be very good, but that just doesn't automatically mean that Oregon should be expected to, to come into this football game and be asked to score 45, 50, you know, 60, 56 points. And, and if they don't, you you shouldn't just walk away thinking, oh, they're not very good. Because that's not the case. This Cal defense is legit. Yeah, this is a California defense that's held 
Arizona State to 24 points, held Washington to 19 points, held Ole Miss to 20, and really that was a really strange 20 points. If you watch some of that game, like Ole Miss's quarterback got hurt and they had a backup come in and scramble for like 70 yards, and then they could have scored at the end anyway. But um, it's a Cal defense that just hasn't allowed – like the most they've allowed a team to score was 24 against Arizona State. And, again, that was with some weird situations at quarterback. Um, I, I don't, I don't necessarily think it's really should be expected. Oregon's going to come out and drop like 45 points just because this is a really good Cal defense. And like, like again, the, the worst case scenario here is Oregon's, I just don't think Cal's going to score much, but the worst case scenario here is the Oregon offense can't do anything either. And this ends up being right. a really, really boring game. That's that the winner wins at like 13 to seven or something like that. And that would be a thing that would probably, that would favor Cal. That's the only way they have a chance of staying in this game. And a player like Evan Weaver is going to make a ton of plays. Um, I think that again, like the best case for, for Cal is he makes a bunch of plays. Oregon can't really do much offensively. The issues that running game continue. Um, Cal secondary is one of the best in the country. He has a lot of talented players, a lot of playmakers out there. Maybe they pick off Justin Herbert for the first time, et cetera, et cetera. And this just ends up being kind of an ugly football game. That's how Cal has to hope to play. I think Oregon's good enough that that isn't what's going to take place, but that's sort of the recipe for Cal at this point, I think. Let's also turn the news now to some. I mean, is this recruiting? Is this team? I mean, just overall news for Oregon football. Uh, the expected enrollment of USC transfer Devin Williams, and I say expected because <laughs> he he has announced that he's he's committing and transferring to Oregon. We've spoken to him as well about it. He confirmed it personally there too. Not that we had any doubts, but maybe we should have. Uh, but this came just two days after Oregon State announced that. He had committed, he had signed, and he had enrolled at Oregon State and was in the registrar's directory at Oregon State. So uh, regardless of, of that, it, maybe the weirdest recruitment I've covered in a very long time. I mean, he was a silent to Oregon coming out of high school. USC got him on campus a week before, the, the last weekend before signing day, and he ended up signing with the Trojans, played a little bit as a true freshman, and then this year was not happy with his playing time and announced that he was leaving. And then and it was, well, Oregon made contact. And then he showed up at Oregon State. And then it was he was going to take an unofficial visit to Oregon later that night. That never happened. And then four days later, he showed up on campus for an Oregon visit. And then shortly after he left, he he Oregon State announced that he had signed. Um, so many questions of, <laughs> of this, like – and I think it stems and starts with Oregon State because we have we don't know if they jumped the gun. I mean, everyone's getting you know bagging on the media for running with the Canzano thing and uh and, and and talking about how he you know he big win for Oregon State. But look, we all you know we I even reported he he committed to Oregon State and or he was expected to. And then our our Beaver insider Angie Machado she reported that. It was done, and about 12 hours later, Oregon State announced it. And and at that point, you're like, when a school announces a guy, it, it's been it's perceived it, it's done. It, exactly. It, it's, I mean, it, when a school, and it's not just college. Or if it's if uh you know the Golden State Warriors last year came out and announced that Kevin Durant was out for the season with an injury, everyone would take it. 100% fact. They wouldn't have any doubts. And then, you know, two days later, they, he, Kevin Durant comes out and goes, no, I'm actually back in two weeks. Like that, 
that just doesn't happen. And so when a, when a team or a school or whatever comes out and releases some kind of statement, the idea and the and the and the trust is is that's a hundred percent factual. And so everyone kind of ran with what Oregon State said, but what we don't know, and, and we probably never will. But what what led to Oregon State announcing it, and did he ever really actually commit to Oregon State? I mean, I asked him about it, and he said it was a big misunderstanding, which is just that's a big mis- misunderstanding. Yeah, yeah, my head's still spinning a little bit. I, I think it's it's what it's it's just strange, and we've now seen similar stuff happen. And strangely enough, it seems like it always includes USC for whatever reason. But you just think about the Brew McCoy thing, where he's going back and forth between USC and Texas, and Chris Steele's situation is very reminiscent of this in a lot of ways, although uh, there was a little bit more time between his commitment to Oregon before he flipped back to USC um, than there was in this instance. But, yeah, it, it is – it's hard to track. It's hard to understand exactly how it all played out. I think at the end of the day, you go, it looks like he's going to Oregon, right? Um, Oregon hasn't, like, officially announced it, announced it, at least when we're doing this podcast, but they've acknowledged right. it via social media. Um, so that it seems like this is happening, right? Like, I don't think – I feel pretty confident saying that he's going to be at Oregon. At the same time, I felt pretty confident he was going to be at Oregon State like four days ago, and I felt pretty confident Chris Steele was going to be at Oregon midway through the summer, right? Um, you just – there's just a – it's a weird development with this with transfers and how, how the lack of finality at times ends up creating a lot of concerns and question marks. And I don't think you ever feel fully great about – a player transferring until he's enrolled in classes and you see him practicing and you, you know what I mean? And they're talking about him in those regards. So um, I think we expect he's going to be at Oregon. I think with that expectation, it's a very big addition for Oregon potentially. Um, you now look at this 2020 wide receiving core and like, it could be really scary. You know, who we don't know who's going to be a quarterback for Oregon, but you toss in Devin Williams with the other guys that are returning with a recruit like Johnny Wilson uh, and Chris Hudson, who are very highly regarded recruits in the, in the 2020 recruiting class. And now you've got an Oregon receiving core, which brings back basically everybody besides Brendan Schooler and Jawan Johnson and maybe some players to transfer, but right. all, of, all of the regulars. And it's like Oregon should be pretty loaded at that position. I mean, it's going to go from being a position which coming into this year was a big question mark, kind of a concern to, I mean, whether it's Tyler Shuck or Jay Butterfield or Kale Millen or maybe it's somebody else we're not even talking about right now, but whoever it is um, in 2020 who's playing quarterback is going to have a wealth of options to throw to. And a guy like Devin Williams and a Brian Addison who's emerging now and a Johnny Wilson who are these tall 6'5", 6'6", guys on the outside, like, I was going back a couple years, when we watched at the opening, Devin Williams was a total stud. I mean, I was amazed by how fluid he was, how explosive he was going up and getting the football. Like, this is a legitimate guy who could be a really, really good player at Oregon. And uh, obviously he didn't show up much at USC, but I also now have watched a little bit of USC and realized the receiving talent there was crazy with Michael, you know, with Michael Pittman, with uh, with Vaughn, with Osiris, or is it Osiris? No, it's Ama St. Brown. Yes. Uh, uh, there's just been so much talent there, and you kind of understand it. So, like, if, if Williams is able to take a step here, he could be a really big part of this passing game in a year. I, again, even it doesn't even necessarily matter who's playing quarterback. I just think the upside is tremendous there. Yeah, I, I like the group. Um, I certainly think there's a, a ton of playmakers for the 2020 football season. Um, I'd like to see – I'm really curious to see the development that we see uh, and, and the impact of a guy like Micah Pittman um, – 
could make this season. But more importantly, I'm I'm really excited to see what kind of growth do we see at receiver with a Johnny Johnson, um, yeah. a Jalen Red, uh, a Lance Wilhoy, a Delgado, an Addison. Now that you know they get they've they've, they've all had one off season with with uh, Jovan Bootnight, Oregon's receivers coach. What does a second year of off-season work bring to the table of spring spring football and off-season practices and fall camp? So while I think Devin Williams is gonna is gonna help provide better play at the receiver position, I think it's only gonna make you know like Mario Cristobal talks a lot about you know competition breeds you know success and he's another dude that's gonna come in and compete and push everybody else and so I I think. It makes Oregon's depth better, but at the same time, I also think it's going to force guys to work even harder, practice even harder, um, because of the talent that's being assembled. And you know, Johnny Wilson, a, a, a borderline five-star wide receiver, is joining the group. Uh, Chris Hudson, another four-star receiver, is also joining the group. Um, but you're right about the size aspects. Uh, it, it's kind of crazy how uh, you know two years ago the receivers' position. Was, was viewed in a way of this might be the, the weakest link of the group. And in two years time, it might go to the one where I'm not going to say they're the strongest, but they might have the most options of guys that could play in a, in a football game. The, yeah. Just the relative variety and skill set of guys is really encouraging. And with, and this is where some of the injuries we've seen so far this fall where you've got a guy like Johnny Johnson who had a really tough sophomore season but is now elevating his game as a junior. We don't know if he plays at this high of a level, you know, if he doesn't have these injuries, right, and and if he is able to really take his game to another level, which I think we're seeing already, he could be an absolute star as a senior, and then you surround him with some other of these really highly regarded guys. I mean, this could be a, a really fantastic receiving core, and again, uh, I think big news, I think a big addition, you, you see what they're trying to do on the outside. It was the same thing Oregon's been trying to do on the outside for a while, but just have had a, some of a hard time landing some of these players. I mean, you go back and look at the class where Devin Williams is actually looking at going to Oregon. All the guys that had committed or were looking to commit uh, during that class, uh, at that point it was Willie Taggart as head coach, were these six three, six four, six five guys on the outside. They ended up missing on basically all of them, I guess Brian Addison being the only one that, that ended up enrolling um, at Oregon. Uh, and then you're now seeing them come back around on a guy like Williams, and you've already got we mentioned Wilson, we've got Addison now. That's you just you're see, starting to see the body types sort of take shape, and you kind of see what they're trying to do. I think on the outside, which is an exciting proposition, especially when you get down to the close to the red zone, because I think you're going to see a thing in the future here where it's just throw the ball up and let these guys go get it. Moving towards this week, uh, let's take a quick break. We'll, we'll come back. And we'll, we'll dive a little bit more in, into this weekend's game against California. Uh, all coming up next on the Odds and Audibles podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, welcome back to the Odds and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is with me always, and we teased it at the at the break that we discuss a little bit about Cal. Eric, I think we'd be remorse if we didn't talk uh, a little bit about this game from an Oregon perspective. Um, from an injury standpoint, Micah Pittman's back. He's practicing with the team. Brendan Schooler is also expected to join the team this week. Uh, Austin Folio, another guy, uh, is also expected to be you know fully back and, and helping Oregon. Uh, on the defensive side of the football, I think while Cal is going into this one like they're banged up, Oregon, on the other hand, seems to be trending in the right direction. The bye week was a perfect time. Uh, guys, for the most part, we don't know much about Juwan Johnson. It's, you know, Mark Cristobal's gone at length about that. Of he wish he could say more than day to day, but that's just where it's at. Um, but I, I think Oregon is trending upwards for from an injury perspective, and that's kind of where you want to be coming after a bye week. And I, again, we said it coming into the bye week and you say it leaving the bye week. The timing of it is great in terms of they now get to regroup. They now get an opportunity to get healthy, which was obviously pivotal. And now with some of these, you know, with the situation at wide receiver being what it was where you had basically almost half of your scholarship guys injured, uh, you're now potentially going to see a little bit different look at offense. I will be, I'll be very curious to see. If this offense feels a little bit more explosive in the passing game, especially with someone like Micah Pitt, Pittman, who I know is a true freshman, you don't want to <laughs> overhype a true freshman, but sometimes they're deserving of it. And in fall camp, Micah Pittman was so impressive. He was really the talk of fall camp for about two and a half weeks before he got injured. Every day he was making all these incredible catches. I mean, I think one of the things during fall camp that maybe gets, you might remember is that like he had this incredible, like, I think he dropped like two passes in like 15 practices or something like that. Like he was catching everything. And you throw that in there, and you throw Brennan Schooler, who's a veteran guy who's who's made some plays, who's been a good player on the outside as a blocker, who's obviously a great, great locker room guy, great special teams player. There, I just don't see how this offense doesn't look a little bit better. Now it just comes to a matter, you know, a matter of how do they utilize and take advantage of these guys returning. Um, I'm not going to sit here and say I expect Oregon's offense because of these additions to be like, if that makes up like 14 points, you know, worth of offense because of those guys return if, you know, if they do come back, but I do expect that the, like the upside has to be better, right? Like the, the upside for this offense, when you add a couple of talented players, again, I'm really high in Micah Pittman. I think he's going to have a great season. Um, even though it's been condensed by injuries, I, I just have to think that this offense goes up a little bit, a little bit of a level. And, and I don't know if there's direct impact in the run game, but to me, just the ability to maybe stretch the field a little bit more with some of these guys and be, you know, maybe have the opportunity and confidence to maybe be a little bit more aggressive in the passing game, I think that should play dividends around. And you're now going to start seeing Oregon here in these next two weeks before they play Washington in the game, which we should mention is just becoming more and more evident that that really is what is going to determine the Pac-12 North this season with the way Washington State's looked, the way Stanford and Oregon State have looked, with how Cal's looking right now. It really looks like it's an Oregon-Washington battle. And so, to me, these next two weeks are getting this offense, you know, at the highest level possible and getting these wide receivers going. So when you head to Seattle, you're really firing on all cylinders. 
Yeah, that's the that's the thing is getting you know Oregon healthy and in rhythm and firing at all cylinders, like you said, going into Cal- going into Washington because <coughs> excuse me, no offense to to Cal, no offense to Colorado, Oregon should should, should win both those games handedly, and yep, when I mean I handedly, do. as a two score victory, and the Washington game is setting up as maybe the game that decides the fate of the Pac-12 North and maybe the fate of who's the best team in the Pac-12 because the way that the standings are, are set up right now where if, if Oregon beats California, the Bears have two conference losses, a loss to the Ducks, and they are three games in theory behind Oregon. All, Oregon would have to lose three times and Cal would not have to lose the rest of the way to, to win the Pac-12 North. And if Oregon goes in and and beats Washington, and Washington doesn't lose before that point, it's the same deal. The Huskies all of a sudden have two losses, and the Ducks have have zero. Oregon has the tiebreaker over them. They would they would need Oregon to lose three times and Washington to win out to win the conference. And at that point in the schedule for Oregon, how many games are, are left where – I mean, yeah, they, they have more than three against Washington, but they've, they've got Washington State, they've got USC, Arizona, they have five games. So all Oregon would have to do is, is go three and two in their last five. Yep. And they have Arizona and they have Oregon State still on the schedule. Those are both home games, very winnable games. And then you just say to yourself, all right, you just got to be one of Washington at home at USC or at ASU and you've wrapped up the Pac-12 North. So, the Washington game is setting up to be a monumental football game for, for the conference, for Oregon, for Washington, but it means for nothing if Oregon can't go in on Saturday night against California and take care of business and win that football game. And that's, I think that's kind of what I'm looking to see how this team approaches the week, how this team approaches the next two weeks, because they know a huge, a huge football game is looming in three weeks. But it won't mean anything if they don't k- take care of business against opponents that, quite frankly, they should have you know handle very easily. This has played out, and we've said it now for a couple of weeks. It really has played out absolutely perfect for Oregon in terms of the way the schedule has played out with the way some of these teams have performed in the Pac-12 North. I and mean, you look at the standings right now. Oregon is we haven't even gotten to October yet, and Oregon is the only Pac-12 North team without a loss in Pac-12. And Arizona and Colorado are the only teams in the South. I mean, the conference has totally cannibalized itself, and that speaks to the competitive nature. But you're right. If Oregon just takes care of business here, this this they're going to win the – I mean, they're, they're in a fantastic position. But I agree. What it comes down to is you can't overlook these next two games. I mean, Colorado hasn't lost in, in conference play. Can't overlook them. Cal still has a team that was ranked 15th last week. They took their, you know, their quarterbacks out, but I, you can't overlook that game. But, you know, you have to win these games. You can't, we have to see this team come out of the bye week motivated and focused and not overlooking what is, you know, this humongous game coming up in a few weeks in Seattle. Um, you know, you can't look past these next two games because I think, I really do think if Oregon can stay focused, can go out and take care of business these next two weeks, that sets up really the, the the season against Washington and Seattle. And, and and let's be honest here as well, like Oregon could theoretically lose that game to Washington. They would both be tied in the loss, you know, the loss column. 
And Oregon goes and takes care of business. And Washington still has some not-so-easy games coming up after that on the schedule. We should mention Washington plays at Stanford this week. You know, that, yeah. could, be a, that could be a game where they slip up. But, you know, you look at Washington's schedule here. Um, they play Utah the week after they play Oregon. That's not going to be easy. Um, you know, I guess they go at Colorado after a couple weeks after that. That's not going to be easy. But uh, I, I, that game in Seattle, Oregon wins that game, and, and you pretty much put the whole thing on ice, if you ask me. Do you let's let's look at this this money line or not the money line but the, the bet right now on a working cow fifth it opened at fourteen points it's climbed all the way to it's now updated again since we've done this podcast I mean, we literally let me just double check here we've been on the podcast for about twenty five minutes and in that twenty five minute span it's jumped from a seventeen and a half to an eighteen and a half point spread in favor of Oregon so. At what point does it get too high for for your liking? Like I still feel like eighteen and a half is probably doable because I think Oregon can score twenty one points, and I don't know if if Stanford or if, I don't know if California can course can can score six with what they showed uh, on 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 Friday night against an ASU defense that's good, but I don't think it's at the level of Oregon. I would say I would say three scorers would feel extreme. I think if it was more than twenty one points, I. I I, I would even feel a little bit cautious betting eighteen and a half. Just oh, both. sir, I would. I mean, I, yeah. I still probably would take it, but it, it would be no, nowhere near as confident as sixteen or fifteen. Yeah, eighteen and a half is actually getting to a pretty decent number for me. I think you get to twenty twenty one, then I'm then I'm definitely not touching it. I also don't gamble like at all, but like just like in terms of my comfort level, like eighteen and a half. Okay, I could see Oregon scoring enough points to do that, but I also just am wary of like if we're betting on Oregon's offense right now, which has been kind of up and down a little bit this offseason, obviously incredible high against Nevada where they scored all the points basically. And then they come back against Montana and Stanford and really have some some issues and just aren't quite as efficient scoring as you would have liked. Um and this again this Cal defense hasn't allowed more than twenty four points yet. I could just see a thing here where if you're bet, I, I don't expect Cal to score much, but if Cal scores six points, Oregon needs to get to 28, basically 27 to to cover that line, you know. And, and 24 isn't going to do it anymore. So I, I I think 21 points to me feels like you're kind of pushing it, just because I I just don't know if this Oregon offense remains sort of an enigma, and that Cal defense is good enough where I think in theory this could be a game where Oregon wins by 17 points, but they don't cover, but they still are so dominant, and they win, you know, twenty-three to six or twenty-four to six or something like that. I mean, or, look at it this way: Oregon against Power Five teams that played two, Auburn and Mont and Stanford. The highest they've scored is twenty-one points in both those games. Yep, exactly. And, and, and while I don't necessarily think that California's defense is at the level of Auburn's, I mean, it certainly could be at the level of Stanford's, I think. Maybe a, 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 a notch down, maybe. You know, and, and against Power 5 teams from Stanford's perspective, they've allowed 19, they've allowed 20, and they've allowed 24 points. So, and then, you know, they've played non-Power 5 teams against UC Davis, who scored 13, and then North, uh, North Texas scored 17 points in that game. This isn't a defense that gives up a ton of points. And Oregon's offense, granted in a two-game sample size, hasn't really lit up the scoreboard against a, a Power 5 opponent. No, they haven't, which is why I, I look at it and 
I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Cal doesn't score. I don't think you could put that in like Sharpie, obviously, because weird things happen. And maybe, maybe we'll see some new things from this Cal offense. I mean, they've got talent at wide receiver. I was actually pretty impressed with some of the plays they made prior to Garber's injury. Um, it's just monster now. You know, maybe he gets a week, a full week of practice and he comes out and plays at a higher level. I don't know. I, I certainly didn't see a lot of indications of that on Friday night, but it's possible. Um, but yeah, for me, I, I just, I don't think it's a given Oregon gets to 28 or 35 points in this game. I really don't. I mean, given what Cal's done, it honestly feels like that would be a little bit surprising if they got to 35 points. And, and who knows? Like th- these games are weird and maybe the damn breaks and Oregon with these new wide receivers and they come out motivated because the talk all the way during this bye week has been about the run game. You know, not the fact that this defense is awesome. It's been about the lack of the, the issues offensively, how they only scored 21 points. Maybe they come out really motivated. And they just absolutely hang a crooked number and they score 42 or 49 points against Cal. And it's just like, holy crap, here they are. This is the team we thought they were. And they turn it in a fantastic game. That could totally happen. But I, I also just see a scenario here where if the line gets to 20 or 21 points, I would stay away just because I also just don't know if Oregon's going to get enough points on the board to do it, even if Cal is scoring three or six or no points. All right, that's going to do it for us on the Odds and Audibles podcast. We've got a good week of shows slated for you. We'll have a guest on to talk about uh, the California Golden Bears, get some more insight on the Garber's injury and how that impacts things one way or the other. Uh, Mailbag Tuesday, Mailbag Wednesday is our next one, and then uh, we'll also do another one where uh, Eric and I will give our, our final kind of preview of Cal and break everything down, make our predictions and, and whatnot. And uh, next thing you know – Pac-12 football will be back, and Oregon will be playing at home Friday night – or Saturday night, excuse me. Uh, Friday night's next week. Uh, Saturday night, 5 o'clock, Autzen Stadium, California, Fox is the broadcast. Hopefully you guys get Fox. That that That's another one we'll have to, to dive into later. But uh, for Eric Scopel and myself, Matt Prem, thanks for listening to the Autzen Audibles podcast. Adios, amigos. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.